Hello, everybody, and welcome to 30 Minute Thrive, your go-to podcast for anything and everything HR, powered by MRA, the Management Association. Looking to stay on top of the ever-changing world of HR? MRA has got you covered. We'll be the first to tell you what's hot and what's not. I'm your host, Sophie Bowler, and we are so glad you're here. Now it's time to thrive. Hello, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minute Thrive. I'm excited to talk about our topic for today, and that is talent takeover, what recruiters need to know. And thankfully, I'm joined by an expert on all things recruiting, and that is Jennifer Trotsky. She's a recruiting business partner here at MRA. Jennifer really started her career as a coordinator at a small staffing firm and continued to work in staffing until moving into corporate recruitment. And from there, she transitioned into management consulting working with various companies on full cycle recruitment for technical, professional, and administrative positions. So you've really been involved in recruiting all of your life, it sounds like. Pretty much, yeah, <laughs> for over 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast today and really sharing your expertise on recruiting. Yes, thanks for having me. Yeah, so let's first get really a better idea of what you do on a day-to-day basis. So could you describe a day in the life of a recruiter? Absolutely. Well, of course, it depends on the environment you're in, right? As a recruiter, you can be, you know, for example, here at MRA, recruiting with four our members, but there's also corporate recruiters. There are recruiters that work in staffing agencies and then also in like an RPO model. So that's also like recruitment outsourcing. But I once worked for a woman who told me that a really good skilled recruiter is like a master juggler because we got a lot of things going on right. at the same time. Right? The- <laughs> we're going through applicants, we're scheduling interviews. From there, we're conducting those interviews. Mm-hmm. And if after those submittals they want to move forward, then we're scheduling on site. We're having to do virtual, so coordinating with multiple calendars, editing any interview notes. Maybe we're writing additional emails, doing job descriptions, postings, interview guides. A lot of times recruiters are also responsible for employer branding. So really putting their employer out there on social media, posting on LinkedIn. We also use LinkedIn as a sourcing platform, including Indeed and other job sites. Uh, we're also sending out additional messaging and hoping to get some responses too. So we're also pulling data that we're getting from that outreach. We're looking at those incoming applicants too and looking at different trends and trying to evaluate you know, what this all means so we could provide feedback to our our clients, to our members in this search, and even to look for areas of improvement. So in all, it's like we are an admin, we're an analyst, sometimes we work as a project manager, we yeah. represent HR in the process, and then there's also that sales and marketing piece too. Yeah. too. So, oh, That's really neat. I feel like some people don't know the full realm of what recruiters right. do. So it's absolutely cool to know what you do on the day, I guess. <laughs> yes, it could be very busy. <laughs> so now that the talent has really taken over, it's our title for this podcast. Can you share any examples or stories of changes that you've seen in the interview process? Well, absolutely. I feel like we are really looking to shorten the interview process, right? Knowing that, you know, talent is uh, kind of coming across as being more 
hard to find and with the competition with other companies too, you know, it really is making sure that we can streamline it so that way it's quick, efficient, but also too that we're able to get these people in the front door. You know, it also depends on the type of role and the level of skill set. You know, an example is I'm also right now working for a manufacturer and I'm working on machine operator positions. If they find someone they like, they're going to interview them within a week, offer them on site, right, yeah. and get that background check going so they can get them on board within a two-week span and mm-hmm. try to incentivize them so that way they actually start because <laughs> that's always the struggle. <laughs> but beyond that, right, if you're working on like a director-level position, right, especially, mm-hmm. you know, those higher-level roles, you're dealing with multiple interview steps. That can involve multiple calendars. That's going to involve multiple people. Mm-hmm. You know, they may also have to do a project or a presentation during the interview, which can also extend it out. Mm-hmm. You know, so sometimes it can very much, you know, depend on what's going on. But But as a recruiter, we need to be continuing to persuade not only hiring managers, but also our, you know, clients to move the process forward, have them understand the competition, especially, you know, with these candidates too, seeing where else they're interviewing and make sure that they're still engaged. So that way they are going to be, of course, finishing the process and getting them in front of the front door, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And just kind of continuing the conversation on candidates and talent and what are they really looking for these days yes i think what you know candidates are really looking for nowadays is not only of course better compensation and pay right you know people want to be paid more inflation doesn't help but beyond that too it's also those benefits too right what is the pto package is the insurance going to be less than what they're paying for now uh what is also offered to them too right when they look at you know leave when they look at paid holidays and other additional incentives too are they getting bonuses at the end of the year are they getting equity Uh, Beyond that, too, it's flexibility, right? I know a lot of companies are starting to transition and having people come on site more, but is there flexibility around that if they needed to work from home that day? Or is there a policy where maybe they can be more of a hybrid capacity? And then from there, really, what's that growth and development? You know, a lot Mm -hmm. of people want to know, well, where can I see myself in the next, you know, two, three, five years within this company? Can I move up or am I going to be stuck in the same role? So what do those plans look like and how can they get them there? Yeah. So you've been, like we mentioned, you've been recruiting, seems like your whole life or your whole professional life. Yes. (laughs) So you've kind of seen how that interview time and length has changed and shortened throughout the years. So what else has kind of changed throughout the years that you've seen with recruiting? Well, I definitely would say with interview process, right, we're really looking at shortening it. And I know I talked about it depends on the role and the skill set and everything else. But I feel like from when that candidate has the initial conversation to when they get that offer in hand, it should be within two to three weeks, which how some people think is crazy. But when I was in the corporate world, we had our average time to fill to be around like 40 to 60 days, which is like a month and a half to two. And sometimes that is the case for certain roles as well. But Mm -hmm. being able to reduce that time, as I said, really helps with trying to not only get talent in the door, but to help with any additional, I would say, to kind of competition as well. Mm -hmm. And I also feel as though candidates have more of the say in the process and also more of what they want. Mm -hmm. And I think employers are now even too really catering to those needs, right? We talk about, I think a lot of times too, pay transparency and 
now companies are putting their salaries on their job descriptions and postings, which is amazing. They didn't do that 10 years ago. Uh, same too with benefit offerings, right? They didn't, they would just say we have great benefits, but now they get to say like, we offer like different types of benefits around leave that you can take, or even too, we have so many days of PTO, so many paid holidays, like, you know, this is also to a different insurance plans we offer. So they're putting that out there more so people can be like, you know what, this would be a really good move right. for me as well. And I think that's what's really changed. No, I like that. They're being more transparent and specific on what they offer. Uh, I remember when I was hired as an intern here, yeah. I think the whole process took maybe a week and a half it was so fast and that was one thing where i was like wow this is impressive like <laughs> yeah <laughs> really stepping up their game like right i was i remember just like being contacted every day and just like having an answer by the end of the day and that was really nice so yeah well exactly and that's how you get people out the door right <laughs> that's why you're here now <laughs> So we all know that there are standard interview questions that you have to ask a candidate for interviews, but are there any questions outside of those standard ones that um, are related to the position or company that recruiters should be asking candidates? Yes, I do really feel like recruiters should really dig into like, well, what kind of culture and environment does that individual want to be a part of, right? You know, when you're interviewing someone, if they're like, yeah, I want to be part of a fast paced, cutting edge, innovative, you know, company or role, and they're interviewing maybe for a place where that isn't the case, right? They're like, well, you're working for a regulatory company and there's more compliance base. It's not as quick. You know, you have to be honest about those things because even as an outsider looking in, though you may not be that actual internal recruiter, or even if you are, you need to be able to be transparent and saying, hey, this is what the culture is like, and this is what the environment would be. Is this something that you would actually be interested? Mm -hmm. Another great example is maybe someone wants to work for more of an established company, and you're representing a startup or a younger company where there's not a lot of things put into place. So it's having to work in that ambiguity as well. I always like to ask about what type of management style you want to work under too, right? I mean, no one wants, you know, a micromanager. People don't want to be, yeah, looked at every, so, yeah. yeah, checked it every couple minutes. Yeah. But do you want someone who will be more hands-on? Yeah. Do you want someone that'll be a little bit more hands-off? Like mm-hmm. what kind of, you know, communication style do you, yeah. you know, welcome or look into? And then being able to share more about the manager for the role itself. Mm-hmm. Also looking at what's going to be most important to them. A lot of, you know, people, especially in this most recent years, talk about DNI and how important that is and seeing that representation in the company. Well, if you're also working for an organization where it's like, well, we're trying, but we haven't established that yet. Or, you know what, that's something that we need to look into internally, being honest about that, too. Or when it comes to that development as well, right? Are they looking to move up that corporate ladder and they're like, hey, I want to be a VP in the next five years? Well, I don't think that will happen for you, right? You know, there may be already people in those roles. So being able to also talk more about the position saying, listen, maybe you're going to be growing deep versus wide is another analogy I like to use, right? If you're going to grow in your skill set, maybe learn something different, run projects, you know, you're going to grow a little bit deeper, but you're not necessarily going to then get that title that you want. And then really where they also are in their search. And I really like to dig into that. I won't get too aggressive and trying to be like, well, where are you interviewing and who are those companies? But I want to know too, like, 
you know, where does this position lie in that process? Like, are you far along in other interviews? How does this role compare? How does the company compare? And being able to have those conversations too, because if they're like, you know what, I am pretty far along in the process. I got this one company that I'm really excited about. Well, then why would I want to waste manager's time or my client's time to say, hey, you should still talk to this person. Like they may be out of the market soon enough. So being able to really dig into all of that. Mm-hmm. And then going into more of the member company side, how do you motivate members during the interview process and motivate companies? Yes. I mean, hiring people can be tough, right? And I know a lot of times companies, especially our members, maybe are a little uncertain or hesitant. Mm-hmm. They don't want to make a bad hire, which I completely understand, right? There's cost that comes with that and everything else. But they definitely need to be aware of the market. They need to know what the competition looks like and the traction that candidates are getting with other interviews. So I always like to share that and be transparent. You know, there are tools that you can use uh, that can really provide reports around that. So being able to say, hey, look at how many job postings are open with the same title that you're looking for, right? Like. If they're looking for a senior accountant, being like, look at how many senior accountant positions are out there. Look at what they're paid. Look at what they're looking at, too. Uh, But from there, also taking to that next step and saying, you know, how can we at least motivate the process as well and reflect on the position? You know, can this person do the actual duties that you're looking for? Will they be a good fit for that team? You know, how they influence the organization or does that align? You know, sometimes people, I think, you know, get a little hesitant because they're like, well, I like that they did this, but... I wasn't sure about this answer, but it's looking at, well, can they do the job and will they be a good fit? Right. If they're like, yes, they will, then mm-hmm. okay, let's, you know, take that feedback and move forward. You know, I always think of the movie, you know, Jerry Maguire, which I don't know if you've seen. <laughs> I think I have. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was me. It was back in the 90s, has, you know, Tom Cruise, Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, Renee Zellweger before she you know, had all the face stuff done. But there's a famous quote of like, help me help you, which I feel like is so much of what we do because it's like, you know, help me help yes. you make this decision. You know, let's make sure that we're not only losing someone in the process because you're taking too long to decide, but you're also to be able to provide feedback to many people that are in process and are just looking to hear back because you want to be able to close the loop on those people too and give them a good experience overall. So maybe they would reapply in the future or even to tell people like, hey, I had a good experience with this company. Yeah, I love that quote. Oh, example. It's a good one. (laughs) You should definitely see the boob. Well, now flipping kind of back over to the candidate side, how do you work on the candidate's behalf or how do you or what do you do to endorse the candidate? Yes, yes. Well, after that thorough phone interview and I'm putting all my submittal notes together, I really do highlight, okay, why is this person a good fit for the position, right? Mm -hmm. Outside of just like those expectations of like, they have this many years of experience, you know, they have this skill set, you know, talking about their strengths and weaknesses and being able to highlight that. I think even to highlight why they're even interested in the company and position. If a candidate comes to me and has done research on the member, you know, can talk to me about certain things about what they've done, I'm like, whoa, this means that you actually yeah. took that extra effort, you are really interested, and I'm gonna highlight that and, right. and say, hey, this is why not only the person's interested, but this is how they could be a good fit for your team, for your culture, and for your company as well. Mm-hmm. Um, being 
being able to continue to, I would say, advocate for them in the process too by reminding the hiring manager of those skills as well and being able to help them as they're determining that, uh, you know, hiring decision. But I think too, also just alerting them and even to sometimes alerting HR or even to just the member themselves around that timeline and making sure that they are being aware of the candidate's time as well. Because yeah. sometimes it can be a little stressful, especially if they're working full time and then you're asking them like, oh, well, do this presentation and let's try to do it right away or, you know, mm-hmm. taking more time away from them, which yeah. you want to be cognizant of. So we talk a lot about lot about generational differences here on the podcast and we know that you are interviewing four different generations at once on a day-to-day basis so what are you seeing there and how do you maybe gear different questions to different um, generations or what are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, it's something that as a recruiter, right, we shouldn't have any biases. So we need to go into every conversation, not really thinking about it. Uh, but I guess after he's saying that, I was like, whoa, I should actually reevaluate this a little bit. <laughs> and I think the biggest difference that I've seen is maybe around like the level of patience and understanding, right? When you talk to people that are maybe a little bit of a younger generation, we're used to getting answers right away in yep. the gratification, you know, mm-hmm. thanks to the internet. We want an early answer right away. You know, we want to be able to just, you know, kind of get that feedback and move on. But sometimes things do take time, right? And if you're waiting to hear back from people, you know, sometimes it is kind of that like, you know, dance of just saying, hey, when are we going to hear back? Like, how, how should I perceive this individual? And we may not know right away. but. Those from a different generation seem to, or I should say, the older generation, uh, definitely have more of that understanding, and they know, and they have the patience to say, "Listen, you're right. Like, I'm okay waiting until the end of this week. If anything changes, I'll let you know." And being able to have those conversations too. But I think that would be the biggest thing. Yeah. yeah. Do you see um, you responding differently with different generations, or even like? someone who's from a younger generation, would you text them? Would you communicate with them differently? Or are you seeing more of? That's a good question too. I like to text sometimes regardless because it's also like a quick way of getting in touch with them. Of course, I always ask, you know, initially when I talk to them, like, hey, I have your email address. I'll definitely follow up in the email. Are you comfortable with me also shooting you a text message? Yeah. And if there's that, absolutely, then perfect. Mm-hmm. Because it's still quick regardless. Yeah. So it no, still works serious. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I would say that if they mention their age, because sometimes yes. people do, mm-hmm. I do advise them not to do that just because I don't want them then to maybe then go through that where all of a sudden they mention it and then people are like, Oh, you're kind of you're older than I thought. Yeah, yeah. so I try to get them to maybe rephrase that a little bit, and I try to not to also highlight that. Like Mm -hmm. I might say, this person has amazing tenure, great experience. You know, but try not to boast too much. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, what is your take on really getting feedback from candidates and members throughout the recruiting and onboarding process? 
Yes, this is always, too, I think, a really interesting topic because we live in a world where people talk about being ghosted all the time, right? So how do we try to avoid that? Yeah. And for me, it's constant communication. You really have to be on top of not only communicating with your member. I mean, I have meetings with my members weekly where we're talking about the roles themselves, where we're at, where we need to be. You know, I will have no problem if, yes, I do an email. When I was in corporate, I would instant message. If I was also in the same building back when I was in corporate, I would go to their office. Like, I did not care. I'd be like, I see you're free right now. Yes. I'm knocking on your door and I'm asking what is going on. Yeah, because I need to know so the mm -hmm. candidate knows. But also, too, I also have no problem picking up a phone, especially now when I work with, you know, members all throughout the Midwest here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pick up the phone and call and say, hey, what's going on? Where do we need to be? Um, because that is a great way to not only get feedback. And I do the same with my candidates, too. Right. And, you know, I'm sending those text messages. I'm doing those calls and emails so that way I can get feedback and also to see where they're at as well. Mm -hmm. And throughout the onboarding part, you know, process, which is so important when it comes to retention, which I know we've talked about on this podcast too. You know, it's important to have the person be immersed in the organization and culture. So I want to make sure that they feel, you know, not only comfortable, engaged, but excited. So just saying, hey, how is your first, you know, 20 days? How are your first, mm -hmm. you know, week? How is, you know, your first 60 or 90 days? Yeah. Really making sure that they still feel excited about the position itself. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I feel like the check-in is so important in the recruiting and onboarding the interviewing process like if you don't hear from a candidate in a couple of days it is so important to be like hey like what's going through your mind you don't have to you know like um trying to pull stuff out of them but just letting them know that hey i'm here for you during this process well exactly i want everyone to feel like i'm a resource and yeah. that's how i got to go into it too right and, and that's why even in their onboarding i'm like let me know if things are not going yes. as well as you thought like yeah. this is a way for me to kind of even to know what is going on internally there and then how i can continue to make sure that you'll be successful too for sure so it's looking at it from both sides yeah so like we mentioned the title of this episode is talent takeover what recruiters need to know so can you close out this episode with one key piece of advice for recruiters? Yes. I would say my biggest advice is that I want us to be able to change the narrative a little bit, right? I think sometimes, you know, recruiters can get a bad reputation. You know, we talked about ghosting a little bit. That is such a huge thing. If you go on LinkedIn, how many people are posting about it? And it's always the recruiter, right? We don't hear bad, what's going on? So I get it. I talked about how being successful or being a good recruiter, you have to be a little bit of a master juggler. And a lot of things, you know, can sometimes fall between the cracks. We're busy people. We're doing a lot. But being able to just, as I said, close the loop with that candidate, letting them know, hey, at this time, we just had decided to move forward with someone else, mm -hmm. you know, or saying, you know, thank you for your time and interest, but we're unable to proceed at this time. It went internally, whatever the case may be, mm -hmm. just let them know. Yeah. That way, people still get that, you know, satisfaction of saying, you know what, after spending my time and my effort and getting excited about this, I'm able to at least say, hey, this is why I didn't get the role. And at least to you get that reassurance from the recruiter of like, you know, I can continue to work with you. Let's, you know, keep conversation going. Uh, but it's just like timing's not appropriate at this time. So yes, let's just change the narrative. Let's get back to people. Mm -hmm. 
let's stop ghosting yes. in general. <laughs> Good advice to end that one. Thank you. Yes. Well, well I want to thank you for being our guest today on Absolutely. 30 Minute Thrive and sharing your knowledge and expertise on recruiting and how companies really should be adapting to recruiting habits and techniques. So if you liked our chat today, make sure to share this episode, leave a comment, leave a review and a rating and consider joining Emory if you aren't a member already. We have all the resources you need in the show notes below, including Jennifer's bio and LinkedIn profile. So make sure to follow her, connect with her, get in touch with her. Otherwise, thank you so much for tuning in today and we will see you next week. And that wraps up our content for this episode. Be sure to reference the show notes where you can sign up to connect for more podcast updates. Check out other MRA episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And as always, make sure to follow MRA's 30-Minute Thrive so you don't miss out. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next Wednesday to carry on the HR conversation.